0: And as you listen, I pray that you are encouraged and that you would be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ as we behold Him in His glory. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Have you ever experienced FOMO? You guys know what that is? FOMO, what does it stand for? Fear of Missing Out. out. Yes, it is a legitimate thing. Uh, Many of us... Have it. We have felt it. Another question, though. I mean, it's just like fear of missing out. It's like, okay. But what about not just missing out, but being excluded from something? Have you ever been excluded from something? And these are rhetorical questions. What was that like? When you were intentionally excluded from something. You did not have access to it or there was a group or some team or a hangout that you were purposely excluded from. What were you feeling when you found out? When you saw the picture on Instagram of the girls hanging out and you weren't invited. Or the guys hanging out and you weren't invited. That's not a good feeling, I would say. But why? Why do we feel that way when we are excluded? When God created each and every one of you, he created you in his image. Which means you image forth God in some respect. It doesn't mean that you look like God. God is a spirit. Um, it's actually a category. I sing it to my daughter every night. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being. Wisdom, justice, power, holiness, goodness, and truth. That's who God is. God is a spirit. But what it means is that there are things that we have that relate, that are in relation to God. And one of those things is that we are relational beings. We were made for relationship, and that exhibits what God is like. God is a relational being. He is not a deistic. He's not the deistic God, an unknown God, right? He is relational. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit exist in a perfect loving relationship between one another and that he has brought us into that relation. He's created us relationally. We were made to, be- to belong. We were made for community. This is why it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. Animals were not good enough for him. So having a bunch of cats, it, you and your cats is not God's design. You and a dog is not God's design. You were not, it said it was not good and so... God created Eve. Sadly, ever since sin entered the world, though, it has caused corruption of the human heart. The image of God is not erased, but it's distorted. It's perverted. And so, us being relational beings, because of sin, we we don't stop or cease being relational beings. It just means that we... That, it, that our relationships are being distorted. That we could feel isolation. That we know what it's like to be excluded. That there's hostility between relationships. There's division. There's loneliness. Loneliness is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is not God's design. And this is a serious problem in our day and age because we live in the most connected time ever. Technologically, we are the most connected people that, has, that have ever lived. And yet... We are the most lonely and isolated people. Think about that. The most connected through social media. All this technology has, has provided ways to be connected. Yet, the rates of loneliness, they're calling it a loneliness epidemic, are skyrocketing. 50% more lonely people than there were 50 years ago. I mean, it's, gone, it's almost tripled. Actually, sorry. 50 years. In the past 50 years, rates of loneliness have doubled in the U.S., causing more anxious, depressed, and suicidal people. So as our culture and world has become more technologically advanced and has become more turning inward, that our identity is defined by who you say that you are, as it's gone that direction, yet anxiety and depression, suicide and loneliness are going up. Help me understand that. What does that tell you about our world? And what does the world offer to help ease this pain? What is their solution for the feeling of being left out? What is their solution when you don't make the team, when you're rejected or when you're caught in sin? Ongoing sin can cause isolation. Psalm 32, David says, I felt like my bones were wasting away with my groaning all day long because he did not confess his sin. He was unrepentant. Isolation was the result. What's the world's solution to this guilt, to shame, to loneliness? It's to turn inward. It's to find your identity in yourself. And so what do they offer? Cheap sex, quick hookups, some pills to pop, which affect your emotional state, to numb you, to dull you to emotions. Maybe it's a new social cause that you've got to take up and you'll find a great purpose in that. A lot of young women are caught up in that right now. Taking a new social cause, politics. Uh, or it's take responsibility, get to work, buck up, fix up, fix up yourself, go on an adventure, right? Move, do the, all, these good, all these things. But sadly, all these things have been tried and all of it is vanity. In fact, the richest man in the world who's ever lived had everything at his disposal Solomon, and he said, vanity is vanity, all is vanity. So what is the solution to our FOMO, (laughs) to our isolation, to loneliness? I know many of you feel that. To wanting to belong. Tonight, I want to give you that solution in Christ. I want to give you the solution to this belonging problem that our culture has that I know many of you have. This longing for affirmation in other people that is misplaced. We are made for community. Sin has destroyed that, has marred that. Well, God in Christ has provided a solution for all people. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. And as we looked at last week, we saw this Jew and Gentile relationship. There's extreme hostility between the two, but God in Christ Jesus is making peace by the blood of Christ. And we're going to see this that we'll see the result of this, which will be our, our main text will be verses nineteen through twenty-two. So let's start in verse eleven. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles, Ephesians two eleven, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at a time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and have broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. How? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances. That's the ceremonial law. "...that he might create in himself one new humanity, a new people of God in the place of two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And Jesus came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near." For through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, in light of this, therefore, (laughs) you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, that is Christ, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of God. So here's the logic of the text. Jesus' work on the cross is the solution to our problem of isolation, loneliness, and belonging. But how? We see this. Jesus Christ is our peace. And he has broken down the artificial barriers that we put up between our friends, family, and nations. He has broken those down by his blood, by his body on the cross. And instead of us making these artificial groups. He has now made one group called the church, a new humanity, a new people of God. And he is united believers in himself. And so the question is, is how does the church address my problems of belonging, isolation, and loneliness? Because we all go to church, but we all, I could tell you right now, have a very low view of the church and we don't understand why it is there. But Paul answers this question about how the church and how Christ um, supplies our need for our belonging problem. And he uses three metaphors to describe the church and three metaphors to describe believers and their new identity in the church, okay? And the first is this. So I have a sentence that goes, in Christ we are, and then I got three points, okay? In Christ, the first thing that we see, we are citizens of, belonging to a new city citizens belonging to a new city it says this so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints the first metaphor that paul uses it's really interesting is to compare the church with the state why does he call us citizens i mean do you go about talking about that Hello, Citizen Gabe. Good to see you. Let me see your ID card. You know, you belong to the church. You know, are you citizens of Redeemer Church, right? It's kind of weird. We don't really think about the church as a city. And so you'll see like the New City Catechism. You've probably heard of that or churches that say the New City Church or whatever. It's because of this theme of called the city of God or the kingdom of God. Paul is saying that if you are in Christ Jesus you are no longer a foreigner to God, no longer an alien that is an alien resident, not like E.T., okay, <laughs> but you are a citizen of God's heavenly city, which is represented here in the church. Mm-hmm. It's something amazing because we're all born in sin. We're all born foreigners to God, strangers, and Paul says, Paul calls us aliens, Why does he use this language? Because, and here's the historical background, because most people who lived in Ephesus were not citizens. Citizenship in this time that Paul is writing was very hard to come by. So Ephesus was a city of about 300,000 people, about the size of Rockford, uh, the greater Rockford area. So Roscoe all the way down to probably Belvedere, all that combined. 300,000 people. But guess how many were actually citizens of Ephesus at the time? Estimate. Only a thousand. Most people that lived in Ephesus were resident aliens. Okay. They lived in the city, but they didn't have citizenship. They did not have full rights. And so to be a citizen was actually to be part of like a serious, really elite club. Right. And if you're a citizen, you have access to all the blessings of Ephesus. You have legal protection. You have financial protection. And, and if you're a resident alien, you have none of that. Acts 16 actually talks about this. When Jews were trying to share the gospel in, in Ephesus, or in, in Acts 16, I, don't, I forget what city. Actually, it might have been Corinth. They dragged them. They beat them because they had no rights in the city. And so what's amazing about this At the time is that when it comes to foreigners, they were seen as as defiled, profane. They were looked down upon with suspicion and contempt. And so what is Paul saying here then? When he says you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. He's saying that in Christ, you who are once alienated, lacking privileges, lacking rights, you who once had... No blessings, now in Christ, our fellow citizens. Two things had to happen in order, I totally missed this. Two things had to happen in order to get a citizenship in Ephesus. Two things. One, you either had to know someone who would grant you the citizenship, just give it to you. Or secondly, you had to pay a very high price for it. Paul actually paid for his citizenship to become Roman, though he was a Jew. So you can either be granted this citizenship or you must pay a high price for it. And in the same way, how do we become citizens of the heavenly city? You must be granted it by a free gift. And two, it must be paid for. And, it, and the price was this. The price is perfect, exact, entire personal obedience to God's law. That's how you enter into God's heavenly city. That's how you enter into the church, right? Right? By believing Christ. But, but in order to enter in, you need to have perfect obedience. And Christ did that for you. Christ is your obedience. He is your access. He grants eternal life to you. And those who believe on Jesus Christ are given that access. Are given, are, that price has been paid on the cross. Colossians 1.13 says this. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, the city of darkness, and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Why does this matter? Because your identity matters. Who you are will determine how you live. And if you are in Christ, you are a citizen of heaven. Yes, you're a citizen of America, but your allegiance is to God, who is the rightful king. You are to have an eternal perspective. You're, you're actually, as Christians, we are foreigners here on this earth. Yeah, I'm an American citizen, but I'm really, I have way more in common with my Indian brothers and sisters in India. Or my African brothers and sisters in Africa than I do with fellow Americans here. I have more in common with believers of other countries than I do with my fellow countrymen here because of Christ. We are all citizens of heaven and the citizenship will not look like one nation. It'll be all nations, tribes, and tongues. And so the point, that practical application is this. Are, is your eyes set on this earthly kingdom? Or is it set upon your citizenship in heaven? This is not your home. You belong to a different place if you're a believer. That's good news because this place is pretty terrible. And Christ came to save it. The second, option, the second application, when I think of a city, when I go to Chicago, you know what drives me nuts? Is there's so many people... Right, I actually hate going to the city, but I cannot wait to get to heaven because there will be tons of people and the fellowship will be amazing. Yes, even you introverts—all that—you will not be introverts anymore because the Lord will redeem that, right? He will. And I'm not saying extroverts are better, you know. Not saying that, but we're gonna enter into a city. But this busyness of the city when I go, there's hustle, there's bustle, and that's—that's that's what it's supposed to be in the church. The church is to be a working church that if you're a citizen of Christ, you're a citizen of his kingdom. You belong to the church. You're, you're called to get active. You have a role to play just as you do in society to love your neighbor, to do what's best for your fellow neighbor that lives next door or, or your fellow countryman. You have a responsibility in the church. You're to get busy proclaiming Christ. That's what you're called to do, to set your eyes on eternity. That's why this matters so much. So when it comes back to belonging, if your eyes are just set on this world, it's going to lead to despair. It's going to lead to isolation. But if you could remind yourself that you belong to a city filled with people of every tribe, tongue, and nation that love Jesus, that Christ dwells in them, you could be reminded that that you're not a second-class citizen, but that you are a citizen of the King. I love this. Philippians 1 you can write this reference down. Philippians three seventeen. Listen to what Paul says. What's the application of this? He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject, subject all things to himself. Mm-hmm. Do you realize who you are in Christ and what you have? My brother He's in the Coast Guard, and he's down in Panama City, Florida. And he was just moved to the Keys. You're like, whoa, the Florida Keys, that's pretty cool to be stationed there. Um, Surfing every day, sharks everywhere, bull sharks. He was fishing, and he caught a fish and a bull shark ate that, that fish off his line. Pretty crazy. But the main job that he has been doing there is he has, as the Coast Guard, they're called to guard the border. And there are hundreds and hundreds and thousands of Cubans that are trying to escape communism. They are dying to become citizens of America. And, and what Joey has to do is they kept, he catches these, these men and women and sometimes very famished, sometimes on the... On, they're rowing 90 miles across the ocean to get to freedom because they see the value of the citizenship here. And it's so sad because the federal government uh, says pretty much when they pick them up, they deport them right away. Yet the southern borders wide open. Anyways, really sad. It's because most people that are coming from communism, are going to be conservative. It's really e- evil. And so, the point is this. Is they see the wealth. They see the, the, the privilege of being an American citizen. Do you see, do you have that same mentality when it comes to being a citizen of the heavenly city? Is, is it, I just long, I just want to be a part of it. I just want to give myself to it. I'll give my life for it. That's kind of the, it is, it is such a privilege. We're citizens of a heavenly city. This leads to point number two. The second metaphor that Paul uses is that in Christ, we are children belonging to a new family. He says that we're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So we're children belonging to a new family. The church is is a city, but it's also a household. It's a family. We are citizens of that city, and we're children of this new family in this household. And the means by which we become children is through adoption, through spiritual adoption. Each and every one of you, you all grow—you all have different earthly families. But every single earthly family can be put into two categories. You're either families, you're either in Christ's family, or you're either in Satan's family. You're either children of wrath, children of the the devil, or you're children of God. And if you're in Christ Jesus, you belong to his family. And what is this family built on? What's the difference between this family and all other families? It says it's built on a foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The cornerstone. The family of Satan... Resides in a house built on man on a man-made foundation. The glory of man is what it displays. Satan's house looks pretty nice. Like it would probably be on HGTV. You know. It, 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 it's a nice looking house. The interior looks is beautifully designed. The exterior looks so good. It's drawing people just like a, as Eve looked at the fruit of the knowledge tree of evil and says it was a desire to her eyes. Well, Satan's family is that way. It has all this outward appearance of joy and pleasure, right? It looks so beautiful. It would be the best house on MTV cribs, right? Billions of people belong to this house, belong to Satan's family. But the problem is, is, and if you ever go house hunting, you can talk to Sam about this, right? People, when I was looking for a house, you you see these pictures and these houses. They look so pretty on the pictures. Then you go there, and it's like not even close to what the pictures look like. They're all buttered up. And then you go, and you're like, I don't even care about what it looks like. Take me to the foundation. Take me to the things that really matter. And when you go to look at the foundation of Satan's family, it's cracked, disjointed, faulty, weak. It's not up to code, and it's about to crush every single person that lives in it. And send them to a place called hell. It looks so beautiful. It looks awesome to be in the world. But really, it's all it's all a show. Those people, those outside of Christ, are the most isolated, lonely. It's sad. They're separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant, having no hope and without God in the world. That's being a child of Satan. That's his family. But the family of Christ, however, resides on a house built on another foundation, on the foundation of the doctrine of Jesus Christ, which is the separation between true churches and false churches. Do they believe in the Messiah? Do they preach salvation by grace alone through faith alone? The the Roman Catholic Church says says that we're the true church, but they're not built on the foundation of Christ. Satan has churches as well. They look great on the outside, but they don't preach Christ. They don't believe in sound doctrine. But those who are in Christ reside in a house built on him. Jesus is the foundation. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, He is the cornerstone. And so a cornerstone, if you don't know what that is, when you're laying the foundation, the cornerstone would be the chief stone. It would be the first stone laid down. And all the other stones would be joined to it. Without the cornerstone, you don't have stability. You don't have a secure structure. It's the most important important piece to the building, to the structure. And that's what Jesus is, is he not? He is the most important thing. In our lives. And those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, who have staked their life upon Him, you've been adopted into a new family. That's who you are. So when people say, Hey, what do you do? Who are you? <laughs> you could say, Hi, my name is JT Stead, and I'm a child of the King. That should be the first thing. Not a bat- not a basketball player. Not someone who does theater. Not some you're not you're not defined by what you do. You're defined by who Christ says that you are. And if you're in Christ, you're a child of him. And there's nothing that can remove you from that household. There's nothing. Membership into God's family is given. It is not earned. So the question is, is how do we receive membership? Ephesians 1.5 says this, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Your only hope is to trust in Jesus Christ he is he is your only hope of salvation he is the only he is our older brother he is the first son of God, and those who are in him are in his family what 's the application here i got two two applications here first john three nine through ten this is why this is important He says this: no one born of God when he's born of God or is a child of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother friends If you are a child of the king, if you're a son or a daughter of Christ, there's nothing that will take that status away from you. And so the way that you live the Christian life now is in light of who you are in Christ Jesus. You are to live and carry on the family resemblance, right? You are to resemble your father in heaven. And the two ways that John says by doing that is, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Whoever does not love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates is not a child of God. It's not that you're earning salvation by doing good things. It's that because you've been saved, now you want to live for him. Those who have been saved inevitably show that they love God through the way that they live. And then the second thing is that the one who does not love his brother is a child of of the devil. So how do we know who are the children of God? Those who pursue righteousness and those who love one another. Those who love one another. Peace. Love for one another. Sacrificial, self-denying love. Does that characterize your life? Remember, it's not to earn salvation, it's because you have been saved. It's because you are a child in God's new family. And the last thing last metaphor. So the the church is seen as a city. The church is seen as a family. And now the church is seen as the new new temple. In Christ, we are living stones belonging to a new temple. Living stones belonging to a new temple. So it says this. Look at verse 21. It says, In whom, that is in Christ, Jesus is the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure is being joined together, is growing into a holy temple. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. How do you gain entrance into the heavenly city? By the Spirit. How do you gain entrance into the heavenly family? By the Spirit. How do you gain entrance into, be, into the temple of God that is perfect communion with him? By the Holy Spirit. The point is this. If you are a believer, God is taking you and all the other believers worldwide in every age. And he's building this great temple. This spiritual temple. A dwelling place for God. And you are a part of that. You're a piece of that. And so what is this? This is giving us the solution to our problem of belonging. You have a, a place. When you do not show up to church as a believer... When you aren't consistent, picture the church as a big Jenga block, okay? Just perfect, joined together by Christ. Christ is the glue, right? And when you're not there, I'm just going to pull out one of those pieces, right? I'm going to pull out another one. When you're not joined to the church, you're not growing together, you have a part to play. And when you're not there, it's affecting everyone else is the point, to remove a stone out of the, a real temple might cause it to crumble. Move multiple stones and it will fall. But what Paul is saying is that if you're in Christ Jesus, he's taking you along with all these other, other believers and he's making this new beautiful temple. The first wonder of the world. That 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 would go against the temple to Artemis, the sex goddess and Ephesus it was the seventh wonder of the world and so Paul is playing on that language he's saying he's making a new temple and this temple is beautiful it's not just a temple that will be in Israel but it's a temple that will fill the whole entire earth and it's a temple of every every person who is trusted in Jesus Christ who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit this is an international temple being joined together by Christ the glue and then it says being built together Jesus is the builder how do you grow in the Christian life? By Christ. Christ is the builder. And so what's the, what's the application here? The Jenga illustration. You have a part to play. There's this idea that it's, it's really that the reformers came up. It's called the priesthood of all believers. Because what the Roman Catholic Church did is it said that you did not have access to God unless you went through a human priest. In fact, you can't even read the scriptures. The priest has to interpret it from the Latin Vulgate. You can't have Bibles to study. The only access you have to God is through a priest, a human priest. But the reformers came along and said, no, Jesus is the great high priest. Your access to God is through him. And all those who have trusted in Jesus Christ are now a priesthood of all believers. Just as the priests were to take care of the temple, you are priests, each and every single one of you. Our priests in God's holy temple, and you have a role to play that is to proclaim the excellencies of Christ, that is to cleanse the temple, that by confronting and exposing sin, it is to disciple, it is to protect from false doctrine, it's to build one another up in love. First Peter two four, I want to end with this, and why don't you turn there? Go to First Peter two four because it kind of brings this whole section together and talks about us being a royal priesthood before God. And so I want to really confront this idea that the pastors are the ones that do all the work. The pastors are the professionals. And you don't have a part to play. That's a lie. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are a priest in his church. (laughs) You have a role to play. 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2.4. says this it's a beautiful section he says as you come to him a living stone rejected by men that is christ but in the sight of god chosen and precious precious you yourselves like living stones are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood hear that and what does this holy priesthood do to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, that is Christ. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for those who believe. But to those who do not believe, the stone that the, that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. People stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, believer, you're a chosen race, not just one race, of all nations. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, you were strangers and aliens, right? But now you are God's people. Once you had, had not received mercy, you lived without God in the world with no hope, but now you have received mercy. Now look at this, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, <laughs> as strangers and exiles in this earthly land, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which rage war against your soul. Keep your conduct um, conduct among the nations honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You are a citizen of a new city. You are a child of a new family and a living stone belonging to a new temple. That is if you have believed in Jesus Christ. If not... You are a citizen of the, of the kingdom of darkness. You are a child of wrath. And you are not a living stone, but your heart is dead. And hell awaits you unless you repent and believe in Jesus Christ. It's a free gift. You want citizenship? You need it to be granted to you. And you need someone to pay the price. Well, Jesus has done that and he offers it to you by faith alone. Come and rest in him.